0: Hi, kids. It's me, Jeff. Um, So, Chris and I recorded Shake Them Ropes late on Friday night, and in my tired stupor and basically old boomerism now, I deleted my Zoom files before actually saving the recording, and when I went to recover the file, it was corrupted so no live action shake them ropes so to speak but that's okay everything will still be the same next week trust me so instead from the long dead patreon uh from july 2019 chris and i watched crockett cup 1986 uh releasing this to give you guys a show and i am terribly sorry uh i'll try and do better next week (laughs)
1: It's Shake Them Ropes, the premium edition. My name is Chris Novembrino. Happy 4th of July to all of you. And I am joined, as always, by Jeff Hawkins. Jeff, how you doing?
0: I am happier than a pig in slop. I get to talk mid-80s tag team wrestling.
1: Yes, I was excited to watch mid-80s tag team wrestling. This was a very fun little show here at the Crockett Cup. A long show, but a fun show and a lot of good Classic wrestling from 1986. This is a really good time capsule.
0: You know it is, and it's a capsule of things that were weak spots for the Crockett Company, especially doing this dual show with uh, with the guys from Mid South. It would seem um, there there's a lot of Mid South influence in this tournament, especially because they're in the Superdome in New Orleans. Um, and and you know about half the teams that are in the quarterfinals, I believe, are also. Mid South guys who most of whom would jump to Crockett eventually, but yeah, I mean, this I mean, throughout the early to mid 90s, and when like emulators came out and Fire Pro, I mean, I still run 1980s tag team tournaments ad nauseum all the time. I mean, this is this is my uh, this is my happy place. So, even even though it's a long show, it's it's been a show. Especially with some of these matches that I've been dying to see, i I dreamed of going to the Crockett Cup when I was a kid, and my parents were not, "Hey, we're going to travel to take Jeff to wrestling types," and also just they never put them out on full video because you couldn't because the the restrictions on technology were such where you only had a certain amount of time on each videotape. So yeah, they, they could
1: only do about 90 minutes yeah. to two hours on a videotape. So what would happen is these shows would be edited down. Or later on, like I remember with WWF and Coliseum Video, you would get these super long video reels eventually for some of those shows. But in general, what would happen is these pay-per-views would be edited down, and that was what was available at your local video store.
0: Yeah, and, and I really, you know, there were things you'd hear about, and it's like, oh, this was clipped down, this wasn't as good as it was in person, and you're dying to see it, and especially, like, one of the Rosetta Stones, or one of the big things that tape traders wanted to see, was the full Sheep Herders versus Fantastics match, from this Crockett Cup, because it was just clipped somewhat, um, you know, on the tape, and it got high, it got five stars, it was, you know, one of the early five-star matches from dave Meltzer, so it's kind of taken on a legendary status so to speak
1: and that's interesting did it live up to the legendary status that it has taken on in your opinion
0: you know it's weird because the standards for five-star matches has changed so dramatically since this match but i loved it every... i mean
1: now we're having six and seven star matches yeah
0: but but i mean yeah and 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 you can't judge it you know, looking back and comparing it to the five and six star matches of today because the athleticism was different. What was asked of you was, was different. But man, this is a brutal, bloody, fun fight of a match. And these two teams always gelled, always gelled. And I think these two teams were all also the MVPs of this tournament for the most part. What match does
1: this show begin with? It's the Fantastics versus the Midnight Express,
0: correct? It's the fa- it's a no, no, it's the Fantastics versus the Fabulous Ones, but uh let's uh let, let's set the stage here a little bit. There were two sessions in one, there were two sessions in one day. There was an afternoon session and an evening session. So if you think <laughs> if you think like WrestleMania's long imagine i mean it wasn't it, it it wasn't an all day event but it was you know they they wanted to maximize money so they had an early session which was sparsely attended like 3000 and the night session i believe had about 8 or 9000 people in it they were expecting 20000 cuz they had this in the in the louisiana superdome they were expecting a huge crowd and while the crowd here is vocal it is nowhere near what they thought it would. And there was a murderer's row of talent involved in this. This was a kind of a dual card with Bill Watts in his mid-south. And I believe Paul Bosch was also involved in it as he makes an appearance later in here. But this was really to try and counteract um the the WrestleMania feel. It wasn't counter programming per se, but They wanted it to feel like that kind of counter program. This wasn't available on pay-per-view or closed circuit or anything like that. You had to be at the arena to see this, but they were hoping it would have a super show vibe, so to speak, that would carry them. And what it turned out to be was kind of the beginning of the end for the UWF as they'd only lasted another, another year before Crockett bought them out.
1: Interesting, interesting. So this is a very important crossroads for some of these other territories as Vince is moving and getting things together, and Hulkamania is nearly in full effect. Doesn't Hulkamania start at this point, eighty six?
0: Well, or not start. We're well, I we're think well eighty five. Yeah, we're well into it. Yeah, yeah. Because um, the the other thing uh, of note here to me, at least. Um, God, I had a point and I forgot what it was going to be. And anyways, I think, oh, there there's been legend that Vince McMahon kind of screwed with this show. And I don't know if it's true or not, but the legend was that they had that he had signed Rick Martel and Dino Bravo away from it to screw with the tournament. And it's interesting that I didn't know Rick Martel had shown up to this tournament. He you only see him on screen for a few seconds in a suit when he forfeits the match.
1: Right. And right. they give
0: the excuse that, and they and they give the excuse that Dino Bravo had appendicitis. Now, legend was that they had no-showed the match or that Dino had no-showed because he had been signed by Vince or whatever. But I did some research and it appears that that appendicitis excuse might be real because they used it as an angle in Stampede wrestling before he actually left for the WWF. So you know, take take it with a grain of salt that maybe Vince was screwing around with with this tournament, maybe not. It's just one of those interesting um, stories you hear in folklore that you know may or may not be true, but the story lives on that Vince McMahon was so angry about you know this supercard that he wanted to somehow deep six it by signing away Rick Martel and Dino Bravo.
1: So now do you want to get into this super card,
0: as it were? Yeah, let me go over the, this. This starts about midway through the morning session. So there are some matches that did not make this tape. Um, names of interest to us because we've gone over them at times. Um, and, you know, the, the losers don't appear later in the card, but the winners do. So uh, the morning session started off with Wahoo McDaniel and Mark Youngblood beating Bobby Jaggers and Mike Miller. I just love that they call the awesome duo of Bobby Jaggers and Mike Miller. Bobby Jaggers won half of the Kansas Jayhawks with Dutch Mantell. I believe Dutch Mantell was supposed to be here, and he did no show to be in Puerto Rico. I might be wrong on that, too. But, um, you know, a rather quick match where where Wahoo and Mark Youngblood win. Sam Houston and Nelson Royal, who we'll talk about in a little bit, beat the Batten Twins from, I believe, the Houston territory at that time. Um, you know <laughs> Nelson Royal was used. Yeah, that's not I a wrong way of putting knows. it.
1: He looks like a cowboy. Oh, we'll
0: go. We'll go, Oh, we'll we'll go into him when we actually get to a match of his because I have a lot to say about Nelson Royal. Jimmy Valiant and Manny Fernandez beat the Barbarian and Baron von Raschke when. How did they get past the claw? Uh, well, it's funny because I believe this was also, I believe Bill Dundee and the Barbarian had a, uh, had a weird alliance at this time and then the barbarian was also teaming with paul jones's army and stuff so so it's like kind of mixed things where or i might be mixing this year up with next year so i i don't know but yeah no they're still calling him conga the barbarian at this point but uh unfortunately not more barbarian to speak of because the barbarian is one of my favorites yeah i
1: like the barbarian
0: and manny fernandez oh god he if, if you listened to an earlier Shake Them Roast when Brian O'Connell, my friend, was on, we talked all about Manny Fernandez, but we'll talk a little bit more when, when we get to him, and I'll discuss with Chris what Manny Fernandez's gimmick really was. Uh, Terry Taylor and Steve Williams beat Buddy Landell and Buddy Bill Dundee. Uh, that's a match I would have died to see because I love Buddy Landell in retrospect now. He's one of my favorites to watch. This was originally supposed to be the team of Ted DiBiase, and Steve Williams, who were, I believe, the UWF Tag Champions or had just recently lost it beforehand. I believe DiBiase went to All Japan, or he was just about to jump to the WWF at this point. So he was not a part of this card. And that would have been interesting because DiBiase's legend is that he was offered both the WWF title and the NWA World Heavyweight title if he had stayed with Crockett when they merged and he chose to go to the WWF, but I believe this is an All Japan tour he was gone for, and that's why he was not available for the tournament. But no Buddy Landell and Bill Dundee who are fantastic on promos around this time. They, they just give no Fs.
1: Still kind of wild that the Million Dollar Man never won the title in WWF.
0: It is, but it isn't. He, I mean, it was during that time when you didn't need the title to be a big star, and not everybody got a turn. But, I mean, he was the number one heel for yeah, a long time. Yeah, I wasn't
1: saying he needed a turn. I was saying that if you have a gimmick like the Million Dollar Man as this arch heel-type figure, the Million Dollar Man with his million-dollar title reign just seems like a very sort of natural sort of gimmick.
0: Headlined to WrestleMania, so, I mean, that's good enough for me. But I, I, my favorite thing is the kind of the symbolic passing of the torch in the 92 Rumble when DiBiase, came out as, like, number two, gets eliminated by the british bulldog and is like walking up the aisle and rick flair who's number three is passing him by it's like okay you're now the main heel in here and i you know i I always love that little moment in the 92 rumble um the and the last one that we don't get to see is the sheep herders being the guerreros who i believe at this point are hector and mondo Uh, a little too early for it to be eddie um, uh, and it's funny cause, uh, Dave Meltzer notes in the observer that, um, that the team stopped cooperating with each other due to apparent squabbles over the Guerreros getting too much offense, which I love a good train wreck and a good kind of shoot spot where you're dealing with a difficult opponent. So I really would have liked this, but again, the sheep herders are one of the MVPs of this tournament. I really would have liked to have seen this match, but instead we start with what in many circles was kind of a dream match in terms of fantasy booking because it's two teams with the same gimmick that kind of were given the same gimmick in Memphis for the same reason. The Fantastics against the fabulous ones of Steve Kern, who would later become Skinner in the WWF, and Stan Lane, who shortly after this, in fact, at the next Crockett Cup would make his debut with the Midnight Express uh, replacing Dennis Condry. So I was hyped to see this. I, you know, I liked this match a little bit, but it wasn't anything.
1: Yeah, I don't have it at one and a half stars like apparently Dave does. But when I saw Stan Lane and I saw the Fantastics, I was like, oh, okay, this is a match that I'm going to be able to sink my teeth into. And I found myself surprised that I was kind of like, okay, this isn't bad, but this isn't what i thought it was going to well, be especially not with stan lane in the ring
0: i'll tell you what i'm interested in. i'm interested in the generational shift between you and myself in terms of tournaments because we live in the era of the super tournament where every match is supposed to be great you know the g1 the best of the super juniors uh bola things like that where we expect these to be oh this is where everybody comes out and gives it their all to impress people as opposed to a lot of people are just out here to make a paycheck and get through the match Without getting you know killed, but still entertain the crowd.
1: Yes, not you know, you great. Seven I don't need and- great. I need fun. If it's not going to be fifteen to twenty minutes of great, I'm fine with seven to eight minutes of fun and coherent. I just didn't really feel like I got fun and coherent, and we were hanging around for thirteen minutes and ten seconds.
0: I'll, I'll yeah, I'll tell you something though. I I enjoyed sickingly watching Steve Kern play beefcake hot guy where I'm just not used to that. Cause I haven't watched a whole lot of fabulous ones. And I just think of him as Skinner all the time. And he was, he's, he's the opposite, but you know, he's kind of losing his hair. He, but he still has a great body, but he's getting a little bit thicker and and he can't really pull it off as well as he used to, but he can still pull it off. But it was fun watching these two kind of playing, can you top this and doing Fargo struts and things to pop the crowd, even though it was mostly a Crockett crowd, which didn't really know the Fargo strut other than when the Fantastics did. But, I, you know, it was a fun, but, you know, not what you'd want out of a dream match type scenario.
1: No, no, I just would have liked to have seen a little more tandem offense. I think the tandem offense, the lack of that is what hurt it. There was a lot of cornering, sure, but there wasn't a lot of the classic tag team double teaming moves that I like.
0: Buzz Sawyer and Rick Steiner be coco beware who is uh i believe he had just been fired from the wwf and the italian stallion which is a hell of a team both teams i Chris, love buzz I sawyer i loved Loved Buzz Sawyer and Rick Steiner. He's so they good. Buzz so Sawyer is awesome.
1: so underrated, and there's this great spot with Buzz and Coco where they're in the ring, and Buzz does a leapfrog, and he's so self-satisfied, and he goes like Suey or something. yeah uh, I mean, yeah. that's funny. He is a really, really good heel. He's good at heel selling. He is good at being funny he's good at being aggressive I love everything about Buzz Sawyer I know Arn Anderson in in the modern vintage gets a lot of love and it's rightfully so I'm not trying to take away from that but I feel like a face from this era who is every bit as good as Arn is Buzz Sawyer and he does not get the love that he deserves
0: this is a mean guy team because Rick Steiner this is his first appearance as Rick this is his first appearance as Rick Steiner um The Blade Runners had just debuted in UWF, so he's not part of Hot Stuff and Hyatt International. They're not really quite sure what to do with him yet in UWF. He had been a prelim guy for a while, and he's been moving up the card, but he's just throwing people around. Buzz Sawyer and Rick just fly for Coco and the Italian Stallion. They make them look like a million bucks here. I love one of the other underappreciated things is because there's no commentary on this, you can hear Buzz Sawyer yelling at the crowd, And talking trash to them the entire time. It's Buzz Sawyer and and is just he if he wasn't such an absolute jerk in real life and a drug addict that mistreated people. He, I think he'd be remembered a lot better because, man, he No, just he had it
1: in the ring. Highest in the ring, he had yes. it. Yes. Yes, absolutely. No, his bumps are really, really great. And I actually thought the Italian Stallion... Slams are great. The Italian Stallion looked really good here. He actually looked like someone who lived up to the name Italian Stallion rather than later on in his career where it was a little bit of a punchline.
0: He was a guy that I think Dusty really wanted to pull the trigger on, but he could never bring himself to it. You know, he'd get some quality wins on 6.05 against some of the lower tier heels. And then he'd just be back like two weeks later. Like, you know, he was on, on that kind of pistol Pez Watley um, level when Watley was a baby face. He's a heel here. He had just turned and become Shaska, which <laughs> he thought yeah. that a bit. But, um, but he, was, he was the guy that would always team with someone who was helpless. And he'd get the offense in. He'd tag out to his partner, and his partner would get beat. But here he was great. I thought Coco looked great because yeah. Coco never did much for me in the WWF. But here, I mean, I, I'm I'm kind of a recent convert after we watched all the Lawler stuff of watching him as Sweet Brown Sugar in uh, or what, what was his name in, in mid in mid south not mid south but in uh, Memphis. I can't oh,
1: remember man. what he went by. Oh man, I want
0: to say Sweet Brown Sugar, but I know he was part. He was in a tag team with Norville Austin for a while as the uh, Pretty Young Things. Right, right. Coco Beware is fantastic. I I love Coco Beware, but I love him in this when he was still kind of a spry, athletic guy. But man, this match is that competing styles that just makes a great match. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. Next, speaking of the Sawyer family, Black Bart and Jimmy Garvin, who are a makeshift team, and I will go into why that is, beat brett sawyer and brett sawyer who is buzz sawyer's brother his less talented less charismatic brother and david don't call me dj peterson from the uh, central states territory in 635 i didn't mind this i liked dj peterson a lot in this he looked like a guy you can make something out of um black bart and jimmy garvin were a team here because originally the horsemen were going to have it was going to be Rick Flair and Arn Anderson, and then Oli and Tully were going to team. And then they moved Flair to the world title match with Dusty Rose because Dusty wanted to showcase. And so they teamed Jimmy Garvin with Tully Blanchard originally, and then Oli couldn't make it, so they just teamed Ole and Arn and Tully, which was really, they had never, I mean, they had teamed before like in 85, but they weren't a team team type team. That's so crazy. And they did this angle where um, J.J. Dillon came in and goes, hey, you know what? I used to manage you, Jimmy Garvin, which he did, I believe, very shortly in a brief time somewhere. But I also managed Black Bart, who used to be one of my protégés. I'll just put you two together as a team and see how you coalesce. And it seemed to. I thought Black Bart and Jimmy Garvin worked pretty good here. They I, weren't I'm, that uh, bad. And let me you know, tell they,
1: you, Jimmy Garvin's brainbuster was gnarly.
0: It's always good. That I, I, that's what kills me about people. Go well, the brainbuster is dangerous. But if you watch Garvin and you watch Dick Murdoch, they're always safe about it. And same with Dean Malenko too. Dean yeah, Malenko's yeah, he was yeah, great. Pull off the brainbuster. I mean, Jimmy Garvin may not be the best worker in the world, but when he pulls off that brain buster, it usually looks impressive if the guy is cooperating. But, uh, you know, Brett Sawyer I thought did pretty well for the other. I mean, I hate Brett Sawyer and watching him because he just, (laughs) his brother got all the charisma. So when he cuts promos, he's just boring. That doesn't mean he doesn't have athletic skill, but this was kind of a nice little power match between the two, minus the finesse of the brain buster. I liked it. The Midnight Express, this one being the team of Bobby Eaton, the great Bobby Eaton, and my favorite grizzled looks-like-your-uncle-from-the-trailer-park He's a lover boy, Jeff. He's dirty. He's so dirty and filthy. I love him. Dennis Condry beat the team of Sam Houston and Nelson Royal. Nelson Royal holds a special place of contempt in my heart. Oh, okay. I want to hear this. Okay. before, Before I got to see him, in Continental and cutting promos and stuff, and that's where I really started to respect him. He was always that guy on 605 that they bring into feud with Denny Royal for the NWA junior heavyweight title. And you'd look at him and you'd go, "Why is this grandpa fighting for the young guy's title?" Because that's how I always viewed juniors. Juniors should be light. they're not quite built yet, but they're also young in many ways. And he just he was so dull. You know he was an old. I mean, he always looked like he was about fifty-five years old. I think he's only like about forty here or forty-two. It's nothing, you know, rid- which I look at now and go, "That's ridiculously young." How can he look that old and grizzled here? But he'd always be brought in for like supporting roles in sketches and stuff. Like when, when Dusty won Baby Doll for thirty days, it was at Nelson Royal's ranch where Baby Doll ran off with Dusty's horse to go back to Tully. You know, he'd always be brought in and he'd always have these heatless fews with Denny Royal or Lasertron, who was uh, Hector Guerrero under a mask for the NWA Junior title, and you'd just be like, this is a nothing title, and they always beat the guy who's holding it. Even back then, they didn't care about the lighter weight titles. Yeah. Here he gets beat with a double sledge to the back of the head, which he sells like he's dying. And... It's funny to me because this match is always a transition spot, but here he's playing dead and gets the three count. And Sam, I liked Sam Houston trying to trying to make the save and just missing at the nick of time. This was kind of a theme of all the other matches, but um, no, I it was it was one minute and fifty seconds, not a lot of time to tell a story. The Midnight Express are awesome as usual. Seeing Bobby Eaton punch Sam Houston in the face with those great punches is always fun. This is a nothing match.
1: Yeah, there's not a lot to say. No. And then we get to Magnum TA and Ronnie Garvin. Did we see this versus Sawyer and Steiner? Was that on the tape? Yes. Yes, yes, yes it, it is. is.
0: It's 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 very It's at this point where they're kind of rushing the matches because people are getting tired and restless and it's the end of end of the morning session but for what it was it was a hoot it was 5 minutes of guys smacking the crap out of each other and then magnum wins with the belly to belly on on rick steiner kind of out of nowhere but man buzzed and- Rick, we're in here to brawl with guys, and Ronnie Garvin was, was game, and Magnum was always tough, too. Yeah, I so thought Magnum
1: looked good nice throughout this out. entire show, too. Yeah. You can definitely see what people saw in Magnum TA if you go ahead and watch this.
0: Yeah, and it was originally supposed to be Magnum TA and Dusty Rhodes as the dream team. But then Dusty wanted that but showcase. Again, Dusty wanted Dusty the showcase, so it became uh, Magnum and Ron Garvin. But uh, fun match. Um morning session sparsely attended you missed if you went and you you uh you know you were one of the few who got to see buzz sawyer who is uh who's just magical i love buzz sawyer and rick steiner i mean everybody you see what people saw in him later when he was just throwing dudes around and being a badass this this was rick steiner his most badassness before he became kind of a a dumb guy character in many ways in in the uwf hoot
1: hoot 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 no buzz sawyer man one of the best rascal heels of all time <laughs> love buzz sawyer
0: if you if it, for you if you've never seen the roddy piper mad dog buzz sawyer program from uh georgia okay no i'm going to go and dig that up a, that
1: sounds like something right up my alley that
0: that leads to a dog collar match um i can provide you some of that video because i have it on on a uh Roddy Piper uh on a Roddy Piper um uh, compilation um that I I can, I can I think I can dig it up for you but uh, if you can't find it let
1: me I talk. am into that yes please
0: next we got the debut in this tournament of the Road Warriors the I believe the number 1 seed in the tournament uh despite not being the tag team champions in an intriguing match um, from my perspective versus Mark Youngblood and Wahoo McDaniel. I have come to appreciate Wahoo McDaniel in my later years. His whole gimmick, whenever I saw him from 85 or actually 84 up until when he left the Crockett territory, was just ornery. And I think he was ornery in real life. And he would just beat the crap out of people. And this is what and the road warriors can take it but man Wahoo is just chopping these guys all over the place.
1: Yeah, I really appreciate Wahoo McDaniel's function inside of a wrestling company. And I guess this is in my older I guess this is, in my older years, appreciating that the- Your older years? Yes, all the world needs dick jiggers. When you're 14 or 15, you go, who is this fat guy in a Native American headdress who's mildly offensive? As I get a little bit older and I kind of put that to the side, I go, you need someone in this function inside of a company, and Wahoo McDaniel was very able at it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, he was was the guy who- uh... Uh, he, You know, he, he's the guy who takes the business very seriously, but only wants tough guys in it. You know, he, he'd be the guy to stretch you. Right,
1: right, company. right. No, and that's good. Uh, that, that's guy. the perfect type of role for the gatekeeper.
0: But he's also the guy who would go in there with like a, a prelim guy and just abuse him because he could, because he was a bit of a bully. Ron Garvin's kind of the same way. If you ever watch Ron Garvin squash matches, he's just abusing some of those kids. Just for his own amusement. Um, but, yeah, this is, you know, I mean, you, you had some issues with the Road Warriors you wanted to talk about?
1: Yeah, the Road Warriors are not very good, Jeff. I think that the Warriors are a bunch of punches and kicks and not even particularly good punches and kicks. I, I don't think Hawks working punch is okay, I guess. I I can't really decide. I thought that Animal's offense was really kind of all over the place, and I, I mean they just don't do very much. It's punch and kick, punch and kick. They don't throw people around. Rick Steiner's got all these suplexes, and I know it's the '80s, so I'm not expecting dynamic and rana's all over the place, and I'm not ex- you know expecting top rope planchas. But man, some suplexes or something, man.
0: I believe that the Road Warriors. We're not in this company very long when this happened. And I believe this is like three years into their careers. And they had just come over from the AWA. They had maybe done a couple of shows. I know they did the 85. uh, The gimmick's over like crazy.
1: There's no denying that. But the talent is not necessarily there.
0: Yeah, they were never expected to sell. So it's always kind of a tough thing when you get into a match with guys where you have to sell... But you have to keep your badass veneer. I think that was always the problem with them at this stage in their career. Later, they would learn how to be babyfaces in peril, especially against teams like the Midnights and Tully and Arn. But right now, they're they're still the baddest guys on the block, and you're lucky to have us, blah, blah, blah. And I think some of that arrogance comes out in the fact that they just don't sell for guys. So Wahoo just beats the crap out of Hawk here i think that's kind of what's going on here
1: yeah and i'm fine with that i'm fine with that
0: the russians this being ivan and nikita koloff beat manny fernandez and jimmy valiant nikita is still very green here so ivan koloff is doing most of the wrestling eddie gilbert has brought in the uwf wrestler who is i believe his last name is porchenko but he absolutely sucks um, <laughs> to kind of replace... He's just
1: a big guy with a bad haircut. To
0: replace Crusher Khrushchev, Barry Darceau, who has, I believe, left the company at this point. But he just stinks. Manny Fernandez is an interesting guy to me because he is a Hispanic man who does martial arts spots. He's very athletic for a big man, but his entire gimmick from about 1984, 85 on is John Rambo stolen valor because he, he creates this thing for himself where he was in Vietnam as a seal in real life. He makes up this story. He talks about it on interviews. turns out he wasn't, he was in the Navy and I think he was a cook on a ship, but he he'll, he'll reference things from the Rambo movie, first blood or Rambo and play that up into his gimmick. And the reason he does martial arts is because he, I believe he said at one time in an interview where he was a POW in the, well, in yeah, the, when you're in, in Vietnam
1: Asia. and you're in a POW camp, Jeff, you better learn some martial arts or you're not going to make it out of Vietnam. Thank you very much.
0: But all that being said, I still love Manny Fernandez. I will watch his matches. I will watch his tag team with Rick Rude. Um, yeah, I, I, I love Manny. Jimmy Valiant is <laughs> Jimmy Valiant's the Toru Yano of his day. All he, he's a baby face who, you know, kisses the girls and he's over like mad with crowds. But all he does is cheat. He does like thumb pokes to the throat and rakes the eyes and rakes the back and just dances around to make up for the fact that he can't wrestle really well. So they're in there to to basically die a death. Um, have we passed the Shaska promo yet? Has that happened already? Yeah,
1: the Shaska promo did happen. What did Shaska say again? I'm trying to remember what his angle was. Okay,
0: here we go. Pez Watley and uh, and Jimmy Valiant were friends.
1: Oh yeah, that's right. He cuts off and Jimmy Valiant's hair.
0: He cut off Jimmy Valiant's hair when he turned on him because Jimmy Vali- because Paul Jones. Paul Jones during this whole time had the Paul Jones army versus Jimmy Valiant. He'd bring in, you know, the assassins and Abdullah the Butcher and whoever to try and fight Jimmy Valiant. It's that second tier feud that would headline B shows and things of that nature. So they're cutting a promo and Jimmy Valiant says that uh, Pez Watley is the best black athlete he's ever seen or something like that. And Pez gets mad at the assumption that he's not the best athlete that Jimmy's ever seen but rather that he's being pandered to. So he beats the crap out of uh, out of uh, Jimmy Valiant and takes the name Shaska because he mispronounced the name. He wanted to originally be Shaka, as in Shaka Zulu, but he mispronounces it almost like Shasta, the soda at the time. So Dusty just makes him Shaska the entire time and it just sticks after two <laughs> weeks. And he cuts his hair off and he cuts this promo about being an Uncle Tom honky, which would never fly. <laughs> well, any part guy, of this angle involved. would never
1: fly these days. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, I, I think the pandering part might. I, I, I think that the racial aspect. Yeah, but to the it best black athlete fly.
1: line. You know what would happen now is that the baby face and heel dynamic would be reversed, and Jimmy Valiant would be. You're the very heel. right.
0: No, you're very correct on that. Um, Manny Fernandez eventually takes the money to turn on Valiant too. So it's just become a thing, but this was just kind of a rest spot. Uh, the Shaka promo, or uh, the Shaska promo was just basically a rest spot for him to get a lot of cheap heat. And to me, I loved every minute of it. I enjoyed the hell out of that promo, but, uh, yeah, Valiant, uh, Valiant t- does the job, does the honors here as he's supposed to the Russians who are being built up as powerhouses get the win. Because hey, a jingoism angle. I mean what what's uh what's wrestling without some xenophobia, right?
1: Yeah, well this is that era. <laughs> then we had yes. Terry Taylor and Steve Williams, and they defeated Dino Bravo and Rick Martell, but this was by forfeit because Dino Bravo was not available at the show, as Jeff mentioned earlier. It's interesting though that Rick Martell really was there. That that is an interesting twist, and I found myself a little bit confused that you had all these middle round forfeits. It kind of took a little bit of the energy out for me.
0: I was kind of upset that they didn't give Rick Martell a partner to then fight in this, yeah, have him work still. It was, I'll tell you why. I think it was because this was the first appearance of the UWF guys. I mean, the, the main, the number one UWF team in this tournament, it was their first appearance during the night session. So they wanted to get them over with a win to make them seem like really big deals without having to fight here because it was just convenient for them. And I, I think it was just, it was basically a move to kind of give them a buy to put them over to be bigger deals later. I, I do. I think that was the strategy here.
1: And then next we had the sheep herders versus the rock and roll express. This is the first big upset of the night. I liked this match. I thought that this was classic rock and roll express. The sheep herders looked good here. This is an exciting little eight minute match.
0: This match was so awesome this This is again, the sheep herders are awesome. This is the rock and roll express at their yeah, best they're really good here. here.
1: The double drop kick. I, oh, man, man, the double drop kick spot is one of those spots that when I was younger, like when they were still trying to work in the mid nineties and it was a little rough to watch, I didn't get it. I thought their act was a little tired, but man. In the 1980s when they're at their peak, yes, that double drop kit spot, that rules.
0: this is one of those things that starts out a wrestling match until the sheep herders say the hell with this. We're going to turn this into a fight and it becomes an awesome fight. Awesome. Cause then you get at the time their flag bearer here is Jack victory. Yeah. Jack victory. Who love me some Jack victory. Love me some John Tatum and Jack victory. Don't care. Don't care if you don't don't care. He's great. And, Mm. uh, and this just becomes chaotic and then uh, then the rock and roll express get DQ'd which is amazing because everybody thought uh, you know they were the top babyface team in the territory but everyone's at the time. so
1: jazzed when all of these flag spots are yes. happening oh man the crowd is yes. electric they love seeing jack victory it's- get his i mean they they love all of this and this is something that modern wrestling this is an energy moment that modern wrestling is very very bad at capturing
0: the The heat here is amazing from the baby faces, yeah, get those guys who are violent and dirty and talk bad about America, go get them, and just this flagpole might have been the m v p of the tournament because between this and the and the uh fantastics match later, flagpoles get a bit of a workout, but yeah no i I love the dynamic of these two teams together. And you'd see a few other matches over the years with these two, and they gel really well. It amazes me how good the Sheep Herders are athletically, even though they're brawlers. They can still go with all these finesse teams, and it, it makes such a great chemistry thing. It, it's amazing. No, they're
1: so good as heels because you're right. They they can move around well physically, but they when they are in control... It's no flash, no sizzle, which is great because it gets all the heat on the baby faces, and then they fire back. And when you have a good, dynamic, exciting babyface team, whether it's the Rock and Roll Express or the Fantastics or whoever, that just a very strong pairing is what that is.
0: And then we get another really great match. The Fantastics beat Tully Blanchard and Arn Anderson. This is Tully and Arn before they were really Tully and Arn because they're both singles champions at this point. They haven't really become a team. They're both members of the Horsemen. As I said before, Arn and Ole are really kind of a team, but they had kind of mixed it up. They they were using it as a strategy. It's like everybody expects Arn and Ole to team, but instead we're going to make it like Ric Flair and Arn, and they know each other just as well. They're doing the whole any two of us can beat any two of you type of angle, but man, Tully and Arn are great here with the Fantastics.
1: I completely agree. I don't have a lot more to say about this other than that. I really love this match. This is another one of these, this is why I'm watching this sort of match.
0: I think for me what makes it is the fact that Tully and Arn really sold for the Fantastics offense rather than kind of it being Tully and Arn beat on the guys, sure, which they sure, do. Sure, sure, sure. But they don't dominate the match with, with offense. They get, they get frustrated. It's the... Some of the best Tully and Arn matches are with these smaller teams where they're getting frustrated by their athleticism, and this was that kind of story. And and it's always great, it, it, especially Tully getting angry. Uh, it's it's just you guys. If you go and watch two matches, watch this is definitely Fantastics one of them. And Tully and yeah,
1: this is definitely one and of them. And
0: then and then the Fantastics and the Sheepherders, in my opinion, is the other one you should really really watch.
1: Yeah, I agree
0: with both um, of that. And then. One of the appeals to me when this tournament was announced was a Japanese team um, who I didn't know a lot about as a kid, but I've come to know both these guys and their careers pretty well is uh, Giant Baba and Tiger Mask. uh, Masawa under the mask here. Um, And they beat Jimmy Garvin and Black Bart. I thought Baba looked pretty decent.
1: And I thought that Masawa really had great showings throughout this.
0: I think, yeah, I thought Masawa had some great, you know, he had, you know, he had some great flips. He had some great athleticism. The
1: fake-out spot is this always was, classic. That, that's got to be yes, super dynamic, too, in 1986.
0: Of all the matches, this is Baba's best showing, especially because the story they're telling is that Black Bart can handle Baba. Right. In terms right. Yeah, size.
1: no, I like that. But, and Bart and, was not going to just go down, so Baba was actually meeting some resistance, and that made it interesting.
0: And I think Bart was actually kind of auditioning for a job here. Because I think he did some time in All Japan. Interesting. After this. Okay, okay. But, but I, love, I love the shoulder block spots by Baba here on yes. Bart. Yes. And I like impressive. Bart and selling Black,
1: during those.
0: But yes, exactly. Bart sold like a million bucks for Baba's shoulder things. Because you watch him and you look, and you can tell there are times where Baba's kind of going in slow motion a bit. Well, he's getting up there in the years at this
1: point because he had been wrestling since the early 1970s, and it's 1986.
0: So next up, the Road Warriors beat the Midnight Express by disqualification. Uh, Jim Cornette uses the tennis racket. A lot of stalling on the
1: outside. Jim Cornette actually flashes the timeout. And I don't have a problem per se with the Midnights needing to regroup against the Road Warriors because we have to present the Road Warriors as this unbelievable force. They're so strong. They're so mighty. The Midnights need to be a little bit shady, but... This was, again, the Road Warriors just not having enough offensively to kind of keep the attention of the match. And so you had the Midnights having to stall a bit. And then, you know, when we got out, we got out with Cornette hitting one of the Road Warriors with the tennis racket. And to their credit, the Road Warriors at least sold for that.
0: Yeah, I, you know, of the two Midnight Expresses, I always thought the Condry version worked better with the, with the Road Warriors. Um, and I think a lot of that was on Dennis Condry. Um, being the ring general that he is, um, but yeah, this is you know this is the typical setup for a program for later type of thing. When, yeah, the Midnight's uh, have the titles, hey. and
1: at one point the Road Warriors are actually gesticulating to the crowd, "Hey, we want the belts!" So we know that these guys are <laughs> going to dance down the line here. So there's not going to necessarily be a clean resolution either
0: and to me if if the champions aren't going to win it all this is what you do with them you you set up a program that people will want to come see at the house shows and this is what this was but uh cornette's awesome here as usual playing the uh playing the wimpy evil guy um yeah i, I look the road warriors are a little rough here but i think more than the, a little rough they they're not great uh the russians then had a draw with uh dr death and terry taylor um goes the time limit
1: if Uh, the russians were better i could justify this length but man it was williams and taylor carrying the russians for 20 minutes
0: well i think this was more to set up when the russians go to the uwf and and really because this, this eddie gilbert comes out again and talks about his russians and stuff look nikita's green here still you can't No, I get that, but then you don't give them twenty minutes. Oh well, I, 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 for me, what happened was I didn't like the time limit draw right after a DQ. I I think you had to space those. Right, yeah, it's thirty minutes
1: of kind of non-finishy style matches too.
0: And then the next match has a double DQ as well, so you're kind of you're getting three non-finishes in a row, all three kind of long matches for this tournament. yeah yeah no you so, tally so these, you these together of, and you're talking we're...
1: about 45 minutes of non-finishes ish that's not good
0: yeah yeah and that's that's a problem but uh yeah no i agree again ivan koloff is relied to do yeoman's work dr death ain't nothing to write home about at this point either because he hasn't you know he hasn't traveled the world yet he's still been mostly oklahoma based
1: Great Um, (laughs) body, but does not have the work yet. No, I'm with you. When you see him in 88 or 89, it's just worlds different from what we got here in 86.
0: Oddly enough, the two best workers in this match are Terry Taylor and Ivan Koloff. Um,
1: No, that makes sense. I I mean, Williams and Nikita are both green.
0: Again, Steve Williams would not get great for another 10 years almost. So (laughs) I'm, I'm, well, maybe early 90s. But I've just, Steve Dr. Death Williams is a, and I have a complicated relationship with my fandom because I love him, but I hate him at the same time because I'm just like, he never really lived up to his potential in the States. He was good as the UWF champion, but every time he was in Crockett, he would cut crappy promos, and then they turned him heel, and he was pretty good in the varsity club. And then he becomes legendary in Japan, and you're like, yeah, but there were guys who stayed here that became great, so I, I kind of... my my I'm rambling at this point, but my relationship with Steve Dr. Death Williams, I may have to go into that sometime later when we have a great match of his. And Then next, the match that I was waiting for like a child on Christmas morning. The Sheep Herders and the Fantastics, 1545 of awesomeness, a double DQ... It starts as a wrestling match. Actually, it starts as the most magnificent show of patriotism I have seen in a wrestling match where they go, can we please have everybody rise for the, for Pledge, the Pledge of, of Allegiance. Allegiance,
1: which is yelled angrily at the Sheep Herders.
0: Yes. Yes. It's so great because I think the rock and rolls, you know, they had an American flag and they kind of waved it for the, for the cheap pop. But here- they're getting the entire crowd rallying against these guys who are trying to do the haka with with the Australian flag and getting interrupted. This was, i don't know if this was called on the fly or planned. The New
1: Zealand flag, thank you very much.
0: But this is this is this is brilliance, and and it's so 1986. It's not even funny. It's so Reagan-era patriotism stuff. It's cheap pops but it's fun cheap, and you can see them just chewing the scenery when they're doing this pledge of allegiance i i loved this and then when we get to the match it's a it's a wrestling match that it turns into a bloodbath when um jackie fulton uh the, the story is i believe in a previous match his his head had been worked on a bit and his eyes and they weren't sure if he could continue and the sheep herders just go right back to it and then eventually Tommy Rogers just gets so angry, he gets in there, and then everything breaks down, and they just start throwing each other into the guardrails, hitting each other with flagpoles. Everybody's a bloody mess. Chris, this is the wrestling of my youth. And no, I
1: this was great. This was fun and gritty and sloppy on the outside. Gritty. Yes. People was... Everything
0: about this tournament was yes, gritty. Yes. Everything, Yeah, and that's what I miss. I miss... I hate this highly stylized look. Production values are great. Titan Trons are great. I didn't
1: feel like I was missing anything go- with this camera coverage, though. Would I have liked maybe one more camera in oh, the no. pit? Yeah, sure, absolutely. But on balance, did I feel like the show was adequately covered to the point where I didn't feel as though the camera work was sloppy? Yeah, I did. I I was completely in this, and it's not that hard. Actually, a little bit of the roughness, that makes it better in some cases.
0: When I go to a WWE pay-per-view these days, and even somewhat a bit with the NXT, but more so with the main roster stuff, it always feels like such a cold, emotionless event. It feels like all the chants are kind of pre-planned, or at least you can tell guys are trying, hey, I'm going to start a chant right now. You don't get this natural flow of emotion from the crowd that you used to in the 1980s. And I think that's one thing that Vince McMahon has really kind of patterned out of the, the modern wrestling fan. Because even if you thought, even if you knew it was fake in the 80s, you'd go and you'd play your part and you'd yell and you'd scream and you'd live and die with the baby faces. And, you know, if they got bloody, the women would start to cry. And no one
1: would indulge you in the, oh, you know, it's all fake kind of convo. Everyone at the show was there to be in the show.
0: And I I will admit, you look at this crowd when you watch them. It It is a potpourri of lower middle class people for the most part. They're, they're not you know, paying exorbitant amounts of money like a lot of people at WWE shows these days, too. I think that's a little bit of a part of it. I think there's a class struggle feel in, in the whole thing, Yeah, there's too. a
1: greediness that occurs when you have a wrestling that is geared towards a lower and middle class audience versus what WWE is going for, which is a corporate-friendly professional wrestling, which is perhaps a yeah. bit of an oxymoron.
0: A bit, but yeah, no, I I love everything about this. Maybe uh, you know, Bruce Pritchard's uh, ring announcing had a little bit to be desired at times, but you know he was game. It was nice to see a young Bruce Pritchard. Uh, for those of you who've recognized the name from Conrad Thompson's show or the ex-Brother Love, if you will, um, this is him as like a 16-year-old kid. Oh I wow, think. huh? Yeah, um. Yeah, he and his brother got into wrestling very early, working for Paul Bosch, basically being gophers, and then kind of worked their way up up the ladder where Tom became a wrestler and Bruce kind of became a producer. And uh, I believe their father might have been involved in wrestling too. But uh, yes, a young baby-faced spry, Bruce Pritchard doing your announcing duties in the ring tonight, all night long. And then before we get to uh, two singles matches to give guys a break, Magnum TA and Ronnie Garvin beat giant Baba and tiger mask with T with Magnum TA doing a belly to belly on tiger mask kind of out of nowhere. Um, you know, it, it really could have been much better. You know, I think Baba didn't want to take a lot of chops from Ronnie Garvin. <laughs> and no one wanted to, <laughs> to put tiger mask
1: two over during this tournament. I mean, earlier right. in the earlier match with tiger mask, and Baba, at what point Tiger Mask goes for the crossbody and then has to make the tag into Baba so that Baba can get the pin off of the crossbody. Oh, can I just say, I really yeah. like Baba's pile driver. He does a good pile driver.
0: Yes. Yes, he does. I, I, was, I was impressed with that. I was like, wow, that's... Cool. You know, it looks yeah. impressive coming yeah. from that of, of that height, height, too. It feels big.
1: Yes, I completely agree.
0: Then for a title for the UWF North American Heavyweight Championship... Jim Duggan, as a babyface, I believe fairly newly minted, uh, beat Dick Slater uh, in 10 minutes. I was most surprised because I didn't realize... See, I knew Jim Duggan is kind of a heel in UWF slash Mid-South, and I knew him towards the end of his run when right before he jumped, but I didn't realize how much of his... WWL yeah, the shtick is
1: very much formed right here. Oh yeah, the yeah the here. big
0: pose. I didn't realize he was doing the hoe thing at the time. I really didn't. I thought he'd done the thumbs up and kind of the stomping. The
1: Iconics totally Here's- stole his little arms behind the back pose.
0: <laughs> Here's what, what I was amazed by and the thing I was thinking about is Duggan and Slater are both really big guys. And... That's what wrestling was back then, in terms of singles wrestlers were these big, thick, ex-football players. I mean, I love Dick Slater. Everybody's heard he's still doing his Terry Funk impression here in many ways, Um, and I, yeah. But it was one of those things. This didn't feel like this. Felt like a thrown-on match. To give people the UWF flavor, yes, but th- I think they told both guys just to kind of give give it give it a half. Yeah, they did not best. go all
1: out on this, but yeah, you know, I mean, look, Jim Duggan. I think Jim Duggan is fun. I, I I think you know he's a little sticky, but the the stick has actually grown on me over the years. It hasn't worn off.
0: I'm I'm teen, I, I loved him when he was with the Rat Pack, when he was with DiBiase and uh, uh, Matt Bourne. You know that that's my level of when he's just being an evil jerk but he's this huge guy. So what are you going to do about it? this? I'm, you know, I was, I hated him in WWF. I hated hacksaw, Jim, WWF because you had heard, cause I hadn't had a lot of access to UWF at that time, but you had heard, Oh man, what a great wrestler. He was how athletic he was. And then it was just kind of the lamest shtick ever when, when Vince got a hold of him, but Hey, it gave him a career for 20 more years. So who am I to argue? And then, kind of the uh, the overshadowing main event in terms of singles matches, Ric Flair beating Dusty Rhodes for the NWA World Title. Another fantastic Dusty Rhodes-Ric Flair match, in my opinion. Dusty, best fat man to ever work, I think, <laughs> in terms of being over and charismatic, maybe not in terms of work rate. It is so Uh, funny to to
1: watch him work now with my older eyes and see spots that are just so weird and silly. Like, for example, when they're doing this test of strength thing. At one point, Dusty starts getting leverage on Ric Flair, and Flair starts going over. And everyone's really excited that Dusty, the bigger and heavier Mm -hmm. guy, is going to push over Ric Flair, the smaller and shorter guy, as though he is climbing a mountain. And I just thought that was too funny.
0: I loved Baby Dolls involvement in this match? in terms Yeah, I like of her. She's not her stupid.
1: Right. She's saying things and they're not stupid things. You know what I mean? They make sense. They're not, you know, revelations either. She's not manipulating the match. She's saying things that make sense.
0: Uh, both Dusty and, and Rick beat the crap out of each other with chops, which I always love.
1: It's really weird uh, to see chops with no woo from the audience right i'm
0: I'm so thankful for that that was nice i I, it's one of those things in wrestling which i'm just like i don't like anymore and i used to like it a lot and now i just don't i'm like shut up
1: the too (laughs) Um, sweet is that for me now i really wish that would die a horrible death
0: one of the more underrated moments in this match to me and just my sense of humor and i howled at this i don't know about you but flair has dusty in the figure four And Dusty just yells shit really, really loud. And I'm just like, I don't know why he just yelled it at that point, whether or not it's because he's acting like he's in pain or he messed something up. But I'm fascinated at the fact that he yelled it so loud and audibly because he wasn't really, you know, grabbing his head and yelling in pain. It was almost like a frustrated They
1: missed a spot or something, yes. They were supposed to go somewhere, and they didn't go to that place before they got into the leg spot. I thought the one one downside in this match was they were doing a lot of leg work on each other, but no one was doing a particularly good job settling their leg.
0: Yeah, no, I would agree with that. I think this was also just kind of a, I mean, when Dusty wasn't going to win the title, it's a we're going to set this up for later type of match. So that's why the DQ happened. Because sure, they wanted sure. to see Dusty beat up Ric Flair. I thought it was cleverly done for what it was. Um I'm I'm fine with it. I I'm, I'm Dusty's always one of those complicated ones where he was, he's the shade of gray baby face who can get away with putting on a hellacious beating on a on a heel. Oh, you know he's what the so trick aggrieved.
1: What the trick is with that is it's the way that Dusty goes about doing it. So Rather than working Ric Flair's leg, for example, he can do the sort of heelish groin spot. But because Ric Flair is such a scurrilous heel, we wanna see injury come to the heel. We wanna see that come up in yeah. and so that opens up a lane for the baby pa- for the baby face to do otherwise heelish sorts of things.
0: Right. And that's the same reason why we we, we forgave him for giving baby doll an elbow later. You know, he when he apologizes and goes, I never hit a woman you know, whatever. But she needed a spanking or something like that. You know, it, you know you'd you forgive those types of things with Dusty Rhodes when he got problematic. But he he was always facing guys who were just irredeemably evil in the horse. You know, the bratty types like Flair and Tully, you know, you don't. And, and Arn Anderson, the devious one. So you'd always forgive Dusty for cheating as opposed to it coming out of the blue or something to that effect. But, Chris, we are now at the finals the Road Warriors versus Magnum T.A. and Ron Garvin.
1: Yeah, I had a lot of money on Ronnie Garvin, so this was actually pretty rough for me. I, Yeah, I shouldn't have bet on something that ran in 1986, but I was looking for some action. I got great odds.
0: Ron Garvin, um, at some point, I think, just checked out of this match or this tournament. Because I I don't remember him being... Like when I He felt
1: squ- so disengaged on this show. Yes. Really really L- disengaged.
0: Like when you watch him on a squash, he's, you know, sure he's beating up a guy, but he's, he's, like engaged surly. When he's doing yeah, it. Yeah,
1: I know, I know he's talking a lot of shit. He's being kind of ruthless. If anything, he's being too aggressive. Man, he just felt like he was there in this match. He, I really he, throughout he this have, entire show,
0: he may have been partying in the French Quarter and may just, you know, be suffering from a hangover at this point. Uh, yeah, because, I mean, Magnum's given all the charisma he can here, and people love Magnum. Magnum's
1: throwing drop kicks. Magnum's doing belly to bellies. Magnum's doing all of the work for this team, and Ronnie Garvin, really, his big addition to this team is, I'm going to throw some punches.
0: Yeah, but but the Road Warriors are kind of playing heelish here. Magnum's playing the baby face in peril.
1: And then Ronnie goes for this punch and hurts his hand or something. Yeah, Yeah, it's very weird.
0: But Hawk gets a clothesline off the middle rope, pins Ron Garvin, who's the guy who should be taking the pin here. Sure, absolutely.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: Um, And the Road Warriors win. And uh, they do not show a lot of the celebration afterwards. But um, I enjoyed the seriousness with which they presented this tournament.
1: Oh, absolutely. No, no, no. It did feel like a sporting event. And if they didn't have those three non-finishing matches in the middle of the show. I think you'd have a really fun, well-paced show throughout.
0: Well worth your time to go to the Hidden Gems and watch this? It is four and a half hours. It is a bit of a slog. Do not watch it all in one sitting. You don't have to. No, no, space it out.
1: Space it out. It's way more fun. Like, for example, I put off the Ric Flair and Dusty Rhodes match until an entirely different time. And I really enjoyed it when I sat down and watched Rick and Dusty fresh after having had a several hours break from watching all the other tag team action. So that's probably the right way to tackle this.
0: Yeah, I paused it right after the Shaska-Watley promo before we got into the evening session. Um, A little disappointing. I mean, the Crockett Cup would last two more years. Sometimes the matches were great. Most of the time they weren't, but they were always a little bit interesting. Um, They've now brought back the concept of the Crockett Cup Um, in the N.W.A. Uh, Dave Lagana and uh, Billy Corbin's version of the N.W.A. ran this. Does not have as much prestige because, look, there's not as many great tag teams out there anymore, but I supported it. I thought there were some fun matches, the Rock and Roll Express versus the Briscoes. Fun little match there. but uh, Oh, I love the was... promo
1: that they did for that. That was a lot of fun. I actually I thought yeah. the heat going into that match was a lot of fun. You know, you're going to get what you're going to get out of the Rock and Roll Express these days. But I thought they showed a lot of great fire in the promos for that. Love the Briscoes.
0: But but this is the dawn of the great tag team wrestling surge in the Crockett. You had the Sheep Herders, the Fantastics, the Rock and Roll Express, Tully and Arn, the Road Warriors. You had Stan Lane eventually quit to join the Midnight Express to make a great team. Go watch this. Go watch a very young Rick Steiner. Go watch a always-looking-about-45-year-old Buzz Sawyer just do wacky crap on cocaine because he's the best. Well worth your time to watch this over this July 4th weekend. So uh, do it for America and do it for the Fantastics. Uh, You can follow me at CrapGame13. You can follow Chris at ChrisNovembrino. You can follow just the show at Shake Them Ropes. We thank you for being Patreon subscribers. Most of you know those links already. But just in case you don't know about the other projects Chris does, Chris is going to tell you about them right now.
1: Don't Worry.tv is where you can find Don't Worry About the Government, my news and politics show. And you can also hear the All in the Family podcast on iTunes, on Stitcher, and at AllInTheFamilyPodcast.com. Thank you guys so much for supporting this show. hello everyone my name is taylor and i'm kelly and we are the co-hosts of jumping bomb audio the number one show all about the world of joshi pro wrestling episodes drop every other monday where we discuss the biggest joshi news review shows and preview the hottest upcoming joshi action
0: so whether you're a new fan or an old fan we've got something here for you at jumping bomb audio Check us out on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network.